What's going on, everyone? Ian Scotto here, Battleline Podcast. You know what it is, at Ian Scotto on Twitter. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you may be like, wow, this actually looks really high definition. This doesn't look like the uh, Zoom videos. So yeah, the reason for that is when I'm just shooting myself, it's very easy to shoot this. Like Chris and I actually both have high resolution cameras and great microphones. I'm not using my Rode microphone just because for some reason when I do this, when I record to the computer, I can't use the Rode. It only records in one channel or I can't use the that Rode. I forgot they're both made by Rode. So I have to use the USB microphone for any of you interested in technical stuff. But the video quality, as you can see, is way higher. The microphone quality is going to be better. Zoom reduces everything. So the reason for that, though, is, you know, there are programs like Riverside and Squadcast where you could record in high resolution. Um, and also the audio is better as well for those of you just listening. Uh, the, the thing is, I've used, we've used Squadcast before and we've had issues now and again. Riverside, you have to adjust the levels. It's just, it's so much going on. And if you look at the last episode, for example, that we did with Frank Rippy, like his connection was cutting in and out a little bit, right? Because it just wasn't the best connection. Zoom will make that a minor hiccup. And if you record more in high resolution, it would most likely be, from my experience, just a giant pain. He would probably drop in, drop out. So long story short, if I'm just shooting myself for parts of the video, I'm going to try to do this more often because it just looks way nicer. And if you're not on YouTube, sign over to YouTube and you can see what the hell I'm talking about at Battleline Podcast on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Spotify has reviews now, please leave us a review. It really helps us to get more listeners. You guys are loyal as fuck. So yeah, we... We could always use your help. Everything we do is word of mouth, and we're trying to grow this, keep get, getting great guests on, like, of course, Max Mullen. Now, I got to talk about this. If you were having sleep issues, like so many people do, you got to try these magnesium sleep supplements that Ned has put out, you know, the latest being their super blend, uh, their their mellow latte. I mean, this thing is awesome. I, it's it's kind of mind-boggling to me when I hear that people have sleep issues still because, you know, between CBD and magnesium and all this other great stuff that Ned is putting out, I promise you it'll work for you. And when you do the Shut Eye Chai, by the way, I'll give you this cool little book, a very mellow bedtime story. It is like Rhett and Adrian animated in here. But it's more than just like a, a silly little thing they throw in there because it actually has some important tips. How it's like, if you're having trouble sleeping, shut off your phone. You don't need those, um, what is it called? Those the blue, I'm going to get the, the you know terminology wrong. I'm just going off the top of the head here. But anyway, like that blue screen stuff that, that people use glasses to, uh, it, they, they sell them online, right? So that you don't have that in your eyes before you're going to sleep. Because all of it, if you're on your phone constantly before you go to sleep, stuff like that, it's not good. And, and I will tell you, this stuff tastes amazing. It's just like a great nighttime ritual. And yeah, I love it. it. It tastes like a latte from Starbucks, but more like cinnamony. And it's just, you're you're going to love it. You guys got to try it. And then it also has that electric mixer that you could throw in there uh, to use to, to mix everything. But that thing is powerful. So use it very lightly at first. You're going to splash hot latte all over yourself. 
as I have before from experience. So 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues and 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation. Just as I said, you've probably dealt with it at some point in your life, and I know how difficult that could be. That's why one of our favorite brands, Ned, is here to help you with their incredible new product, Shut Eye Chai. It's inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing tradition, and it's Ned's biggest product launch to date. It's a mellow super blend latte for sleep that combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium. Seriously, the best ingredients out there wrapped in a heavenly masala chai-inspired spiced body. Think cinnamon, clove, ginger, all that good stuff. It's all natural, made exclusively from functional botanicals, fungi, herbs, plants, minerals, roots, and spices. And they share third-party lab reports on all of their products. And also, this one contains no CBD, no caffeine either. So uh, if you're worried about that, if you're getting drug tested and you can't take CBD, you could take this. So Ned products help me perform better when I'm doing these great interviews for Battleline Podcast. And truly, guys, anything that we promote on this show is something that we love and we use. We're not just putting generic ads in the podcast. Like, this is stuff that if you, were go up to, if you were to go up to me personally or go up to Chris personally, we will tell you it works. We love it. For me, it has helped me just have, like, energy during the day. I'm not in a, you know, in a sleep-deprived and... Uh, brain fog induced coma <laughs> I'm, I'm awake i'm alert that's why i'm able to conduct these interviews so discover how shut eye chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15 percent off with the code battleline that's 15 percent off with the code battleline when you go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter the code battleline at checkout that's h-e-l-l-o ned.com slash battle line to get 15% off. So now you're, you're sleeping well, you're up in the morning, you're alert, but you, you got to go work out. You got to get a ton of work done, right? You need that energy. That's where our other favorite product comes in. And that's coffee from beard vet. I love that excellence blend. It's, it's a darker blend. I, I like a darker coffee. I mean, they have different blends on there. But yeah, that's my favorite. I mean, we've worked with other coffee companies, but Beard Vet is number one. I have to tell you, that's just truly how I feel, how Chris feels. Roasted in the heart of America, Omaha, Nebraska, traditional and unique flavors in ground, whole bean or grunt cups, K-cups, of course, and beard kits. They also select a veterans charity every month to give back to. Sometimes that's been 14th Hour Foundation. Sean himself the owner is a Marine DAV lifetime member and an equestrian helper. His wife, Amy, is a trainer. Trust us. This stuff is awesome, man. It's my favorite coffee. I don't do pre-workout. I just drink coffee before a workout, and Beard Vet gets me through it. They also have the uh, the beard oil. Shaved off the beard for currently, but I've used it before. It's great. Uh, great merchandise, so check them out. Use the promo code TANTO, but spell it right, T-A-N-T-O, for 10% off. When you go to beardvet.com, that's beardvet.com. Also, be sure to follow them on Twitter. The huge Twitter following at beard underscore vet and at team beard vet on Instagram. But go to beardvet.com. Use the promo code Tonto. You're going to get 10% off through us here at Battleline Podcast. Now, let's get over to Mad Max Bullen.
From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast. We had Howard Mad Max Mullen back on episode 100, which was very celebratory with Chris and myself. Chris is doing a speaking engagement, I believe, right now. His schedule is all over the place. But uh, yeah, I got, I got to meet you at last year's SHOT Show 2022. And sometimes you get to meet people you do these Zoom interviews with in person. And, uh, you know, they're not they're not as cool. Like with you, I you, you meet someone and you're like, this is the real deal, a genuine guy. And you and I had a conversation for like a good the 30 minutes or something on the floor of shot show while people were waiting yeah. to meet you and it was it was it was a great time meeting you last year absolutely it was, it was a good meeting there Ian sorry I missed you at yeah. the shot show this year though yeah we'll get into it man I mean we'll, we'll definitely get into that there's there's so many great stories that I just get to hear from you and from your time as an army ranger and all the stuff that you've done since your speaking engagement since um, I want to get into it, but I, I think the first thing to start with is, is really unfortunate news. And I, I know you didn't know the guy, but I would still consider him a brother of yours, just being a fellow Army Ranger. And that's that Joe Cap. I believe he always went by Joe Cap. I got a chance to meet him right. really briefly when I worked at Sirius XM. So if I get the last name wrong, I believe it was Joseph Kapicheski or Kapachewski, uh, but Joe Cap, Army Ranger author of back in the fight unfortunately passed away i got to meet him um when i was working at sirius xm and he was promoting back in the fight i know that joe was the first army ranger to ever lose a limb in combat and then go back into combat and i think he may have been the first military personnel to ever do that and kind of in typical army ranger fashion when you asked him about it like he laughed about it i was like you know are you worried going back into combat and it was like no, because if something happens to that leg again, they could just reattach a new one. I, I'm not worried about this other leg. I think it'll be all right. And I mean, I don't know exactly what happened, but I and I hate to say it and I don't want to speculate because I don't know the facts. But when you don't hear cause of death and when you see people writing that I assume met him that said, oh, I wish he could have reached out. You right. kind of think the worst. And it's like, man, we've lost so many guys, not just in GY, the global war on terror, but like to their own hands and i don't know if this is a case of that but we're just losing so many guys who you served along with and and you know the generations after served alongside yeah absolutely uh, it's, uh, uh, it's real sad um my prayers go out to the family it took the ranger community by shock absolutely stunned uh, i saw the posting um that morning when it posted i just uh, shook my head and the, the circumstances and the cause of this passing wasn't announced but you have a gut feeling after, you know, the day go by and, you know, you start reading some of the posts um, that, you know, um, you just, just sad, you know, we're losing so many, like you said, we're losing so many of our war fighters, 
you know, and um, it, you, you think to yourself, what would take a person in such a dark space? You know, you, you see this young man, you never know what, what's going on on the inside. And I also always tell people that a, a lot of our war fighters, they brought the war home. You know, it, you see the smile on the face, but what's going on inside, you never know. You, you just never know. And uh, it's sad, it's, it's sad. And so we always say, if you haven't heard from your, your ranger buddy or somebody in a while, reach out. You know, don't don't hesitate. If a person's placed on your mind, reach out. You know, because um, I had a niece, no, excuse me, a cousin. Uh, she committed suicide. And it completely stunned. And one thing about suicide is that it affects everybody. You know, because um, we have to deal with it. You know, what if? Could I reach out? Did I see something? Um, what if? I would have sent up and so you leave yourself in the situation what I could have done. But you know, keep the family in prayer and let's pray for our war fighters. And um, you know, this hopefully this this scourge, which it is, it's just sad. That's all I can say. Yeah, and and I hope that it's not the cause, and I don't know, and I don't think you know either 100 yeah. percent if it's the cause. I mean, it's sort of inferring, and if it's not, yeah. and if anyone wants to reach out, I definitely want to correct that. Um, but as I said, you kind of just think the worst when you see yeah. that there's no cause in this young, young guy. And also, you know, when you're talking about like the smiling faces, I, th I think the last tweet that Joe Cap had was him with his young son at an Atlanta Braves game. And I believe that I believe Joe had two sons, I think, like two young sons, if I'm correct. I, I know he was a father, though. Uh, I, I again, I never knew him personally, but I heard about him, you know, the, the book that he wrote and so forth. You know, but, you know, we have to keep the family in prayer, especially his two young sons. Um, it, it's just so sad. Sad, sad day. Yeah, I'm and lost I for think words, people to tell you the truth. say that again. I'm sorry. I, I'm lost for words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and I think people read these books of these guys and we talk about it on the show and Sometimes it's like that hero worship type of thing. And you think of these guys as being invincible. And I know for many people, like reading a book about a guy who lost his leg in combat and went right back into combat, like that inspires so many people. And I think that book had such a positive impact on people. And, and hopefully that's how he'll be remembered because I think the, the whole army ranger mentality of what other small group of war fighters would be willing to put their life on the line like that like after you know there he easily could have said i'm done with my deployments i lost my leg i'm retiring i mean that is like the ultimate courage to go back in the fight and that's what his book was about yeah uh, i i concur and i agree with you 110 and i'll often tell uh, uh people that my service in the 7th ranger regiment was some of the best times of my life. And even to this day, to this very day, I would drop everything to be able to get back into the fight with the 7th Ranger Regiment. It just become a part of you. The camaraderie, camaraderieship, the friends that you meet. And uh, I have to see these Rangers every day. And you just feel, man, I just wish I could get this one more fight, this one more jump. But it's, <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Rangers, the Ranger Battalion is a lifestyle, the regiment. Yeah, and I think I I hear the same thing from like any guy who comes on who's a SEAL, who's a Ranger. There are, there are some guys who I think turn the next chapter and do something entirely different. Like I don't know if you know Chris Dykos we had we had on who's, you know, an educator now and it seems like 
he even said most people who Google him or meet him, they have no idea that he's an army ranger or was an army ranger. And yeah, I think uh, there's kind of, you know, there's the guys who are constantly reliving it or, uh, you know, for the better, doing speeches on it, writing books, that type of thing. And then there's the guys who say, I'm turning a whole new chapter of my life. And right. I guess it's just a difference in in approach for how some guys want to live their life. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, like I said, when I left, when, when I retired from the Army, I went through an adjustment. I say the first six months was a rough, but I prepared myself mentally, you know, because I, I came in when I was 18 years old. Right. And so you grew up, became a man in the military. And all of a sudden you, you're at this, this point in your life. Well, it's, it's about to end. How, how so long you were you, when you? How long were you? How old were you when you left? Uh, I was see, uh, I was in my my late 30s. OK, I, I mean, that's a 18. long career. So that's a yeah, 20 26 year years. career. 26. 26. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and so the first six months was an adjustment. You know, you have your highs and lows, um, but after that, you you have to keep you have to keep yourself busy. You have to get get back to work. You have to do something. Uh, a lot of you know, some of my friends that gain weight, they, they just get they they get depressed, and they go through the stages. But you have to start setting goals. You have to start setting goals and plans for the future, because you can't dwell on the past. Because one thing about the past, you can't change it. Yeah, and so I look on my past at some great times, but you know I look to the future to make things happen, and that's what you have to do. Yeah, and you I can tell you, you are definitely not a guy who stopped working out or any of that. And, uh, you know, um, I, I tell people working out is the fountain of youth. It's a fountain of youth. You got to work out. I work out every day. I don't miss a day working out. I just don't. It's awesome, man. Well, like I said, I mean, that's, I could attest to that. You probably have seen the photo of you guys listening of me with Max and yeah, you could tell at his age to be in that type of shape uh, at SHOT Show last year. But yeah, let's get into the last SHOT Show of 2023 because I kind of missed it due to work stuff and you just got back from there about a week ago. I'm wondering how it was. I mean, a lot of times you go and there are things that you've seen every year as you, as someone like yourself has gone every year, I've been there probably a good five times at this point. What was, what was new? What was different? Was it a bigger turnout than last year for people in the industry who didn't get to check it out? Well, it, it was both, it, it was a little bit bigger than last year. It, you know, if you've been to Shasha or prior, it used to be packed. It used to be so packed you can barely move. And you really <laughs> couldn't enjoy the exhibits. You, you stopped every five minutes, but this is more manageable. And um, I really enjoyed this SHOT Show. Had an opportunity to see a lot more of the exhibits. They had a lot of new stuff out, you know, uh, a, a lot of, especially in the, in the technology field, drones. And um, uh, uh, one of the things that I like was the, the cases that protects your phone from, you know, being picked up from satellites and things like that. Yeah. Wow. And I think of the company called Slant. They have a lot of product out, you know, the hygiene signature from your phones. But it was really good, especially I went to the um, to the range day. Range day had opportunity to fire a lot of the weapons. Uh, it was no long lines. And uh, it wasn't a lot of, you know, a, a lot of new things out, a lot of a lot of the same old stuff. But I had a great time. I had a great time. Yeah, I mean, and also our friends at the Photonist booth were there. They're really doing big things for night vision and really changing the game in that aspect. We love working with those guys. So 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And there's also some people who just didn't show up this year, I think, as things get more online. But I, I hope to be back next year. I'm not someone who likes everything being like this, everything through a computer. I do like to get out and interact and and meet some of the people that I get to talk to. Yeah, who let the dogs out? You got to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You, How was the weather this been? year? Oh, it was yeah. cold. It, around 30, 31 degrees. It got to the low 30s. Uh, day one on the range, Monday. Uh, it was, it got down to around the, the mid to low 30s. And then it started raining towards the end of the day and as the temperature dropped. But, you know, being a ranger that I am, I just embrace this. Uh, I love it. Rain, shine, yeah. shoot, snow, we're going to be out there shooting. I mean, being here in between New York and Connecticut, I'm, uh, you know, I really have the studio here in Connecticut and then I'm in New York. You you kind of hope when you go to Vegas, it's going to be great weather. That doesn't sound any better than here. So I guess I didn't miss out on that aspect. Um, yeah, we <laughs> so I, I did yeah i didn't miss anything exciting in terms of that i i like to like do some vegas type stuff though while i'm there i uh i did get to go see chris angel last year that was cool so i, I always try to like enjoy some of that vegas life a little bit as i'm there yeah what goes on in vegas stays in vegas baby <laughs> i i don't know if you lived that life while you were there you're like a pretty well-behaved guy <laughs> yeah well back in the day when mad max was um at his at his peak, I was um, I was something, but I repented of my heathen ways, and so I go to Vegas just to have a good time in a good way. Well, I wouldn't mind actually asking you about that. I mean, I, I do want to get into some deployment stuff, but now that you mention it, it's an interesting thing because meeting you at Shot Show, and I want to make it clear, you're not a guy who comes across as preachy or anything like that. But as we're just casually talking, you are a guy who will quote the Bible. You are a Christian you're into all that that's that's a big part of your life and like when we had uh, chief back on the show they were talking about how the military and they're talking about the seals but always has that bible thumper and always has that guy who's out of control and it's like a mix of all these different personalities so for you did that come about after your time as an army ranger or were you a big bible believing christian as as you were deployed well it came after i retired out of the, uh, the service you know, uh, that uh, I had a, a, I met a man named Jesus on the way to Damascus back in October 26, 1997, which profoundly changed my life forever. And, you know, as you grow, as I grow in my Christianity, I became a minister and uh, I was a children's church minister for three years uh, in charge of a children's church. It's probably one of the hardest jobs short of being a range instructor was that of a children's church minister. And uh, the reason I tell people that is that I had to be humbled. You know, when I told my pastor, you know, I felt I was called to preach. And uh, he said, I got just a job for you. I said, what's that, sir? He said, I'm going to put you in charge of the children's church. I said, oh, no, not me. I mean, I'm, I'm a combat soldier, ranger, ranger instructor, and, you know, all this, you know, multiple deployments. And uh, th that's not my call. He said, I think it's going to be a good call for you. I said, well, um, can I think about it? He said, yeah. So um, I went home and thought about it. I prayed and I fasted because I wanted to hear what this is my calling. And so, um, you know, the spirit of the Lord took me to David, King David. How uh, the prophet was told to find the next king. And so he went to David's father and he went down the line and, you know, this Lord, this one, no, 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 no. They will. 
Then he asked Davis probably, well, you have any other? He said, well, I got this one out there in the backwoods. He's ruddy. He's out there with the sheep. He said, bring him here. And so he said, that's going to be the next king. And so I said, wow. And so here he was, um, you know, then the Lord said, how can you be in charge of greater things if you can't take care of the little things? And so that convicted me. And so uh, I had to be humbled. And to take these children and mold them, you know, and, and, and train them up. The Bible said, train up a child where they should go to depart from their ways. And so after three years, you know, I said, I'm, I'm finished with it. I didn't see no reward in it. But I didn't see the reward till years later. You know, 15 years later, I'm walking down the street and all of a sudden, you know, I'll, I'll walk, I remember I walked into uh, this parts auto parts store and this kid was mean mugging me. He kept looking at me. And I'm saying, you know, uh, excuse me, you know me from somewhere? He said, are you Minister Mullen? I said, yeah. He said, I remember you. I said, yeah, you're my children's church pastor. He said, you know that stuff you taught us? I teach it to my kids. I said, wow. you remember that stuff? He said, yeah. So this happened multiple times. And so that was my reward right there. And so, you know, when I meet my fellow fellow Ranger brothers, I don't, I don't you know, hit them over the head with the Bible. Um, you know, I let my actions speak. I don't want them to change because of me. But so I, I share the gospel when there's an opportunity. I share the gospel. So they ask me, I tell them my testimony. And uh, all I got to say, this is for real. This is for real. And I remember one of the most exciting things um, when, when the Lord came in my life, I was excited. I said, man, everybody need to hear this, everybody. And you'd be so excited as a young saint and try and share this gospel. And people look at you like, what, what, what? And you get frustrated and uh, you say, well, why don't you listen? I said, well, remember, you were like that. Did you? I said, yeah, you got a point. You got a point. And so the Bible said wisdom when it's sold. And so that's, that's how I try and equate it. Yeah. And like I said, just speaking with you, I, I didn't get the feeling you were trying to preach to me or change my view on on anything we were just having a, a good discussion about things going on in the military things going yeah, on in yeah. culture things that that you see going on in the military that you're not happy with really that you don't think are like when you became a ranger and uh yeah i think the bible verses just came about as we were discussing these things and i i could tell that it's all it's all things that you're passionate about yeah you, you have to be passionate um you have to be passionate. You know, you, you, you get this boldness. When you have the spirit of the Lord, you, you, you have this boldness about you. You want to share this, this gospel that's saved. But again, you know, um, I don't go around pushing my faith on people. They ask me. Sure. I, I find an opportunity. And I try and use wisdom when I post that. And I try and let my actions and my ways speak for itself. Yeah, it's well said. Um, well, before we were doing this interview and we were preparing some things that we could get into, uh, you were telling me you didn't really get a chance to get in depth with your time at the DMZ, the demilitarized yeah. zone, North Korea, South Korea, the the border in between. And I think I know people who have been there as investigative journalists like Jack Murphy after his time as a ranger. And to me, it's got to be incredible how you have this one country or this one piece of land separated by the DMZ of this authoritarian dictatorship. And then South Korea, which is more like a westernized democracy, more similar to, to what we live in. I'm sure it is to be a complete culture shock because we really don't know what comes out of there. There's very little media. I mean, the only media I've ever watched out of North Korea, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, was the documentary that Dennis Rodman was a part of, uh, The Big Bang and right. Pyongyang, from when he went over there. But 
for the most part, we just hear about it. And I think for you to actually be there and see it, you must have some amazing stories. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my first duty station in the Army was Korea. Uh, I was assigned there as a private. And I was assigned to the 2nd Infantry Division. And uh, at that time, I was in a, a, a armor, in, in an armor battalion, right? First and seventh, second armor, and first brigade, the iron brigade. And because I was 11 Charlie mortars, and so they had mortars that were attached to the armor unit, you know, to the armor. They, they fired the loom for their, uh, when they did their tank gunnery and also support them on their, their night fires. But um, when I got there, uh, the ironic thing when I got to Korea, I got there um, January 6, 1977. And at that time, and back in 76, the summer of 76, you had the Operation Paul Bunyan up there on the DMZ in Pamukjang. That is where they were, you had two officers um, that were, were killed. They were up there, they, were, they had a crew, they were trimming the trees where they could get a good view at the bridge and no return. And so the North Koreans came, they were assisting them. No, she had cut, you know, she cut here, cut that. And all of a sudden some more vehicles pulled up. And so these North Koreans jumped out and they started beating the hell out of these guys and um, pull out the axis and um, they, they killed, uh, I think two officers got killed. Uh, one was called wow. Bonifest. And so we went, we almost went to war. It went a full-time alert. Um, whole second division was deployed. Um, we almost went to war at that time. And so I was in basic training here about, hey, you know, they just about to go to war in Korea. And they went up there, they cut the tree down, dared North Korea to do something. So they were at a heightened state uh, almost six months, almost six months. So I get there in January. And so when I got there in January, Camp Casey, second ID was changed very little from the 1950s. You still had the Quonset huts. Um, it, it was a very cold temperature got around the 32 below zero wind chill factor. Mm. And so you, when I got there, the, the unit do a lot of their training during the wintertime because as, as a heavy division at the time, uh, you had the first brigade had it was all all armor all mechanized and so they did a lot of the training during the winter time because the rice paddies were frozen up and the vehicles could maneuver and so at that time uh, they maneuvered all over the peninsula of korea during the winter time we'll move go as far as Troani. we'll train up there in the western corridor right you know right from with that artillery range of the north koreans and the north koreans would always send these balloons over with propaganda leaflets you know, the balloons come over to drop the propaganda leaflets all over the second, second ID area. And she had to turn them in, but I kept a lot of them. Mm. And it was a war footing. You know, when you left Seoul at that time, going towards Camp Casey, you had a lot more military bases at that time, small camps. Camp Gary Owen up there in the Western Corridor, you had Camp Greaves right at there on the DMC, you know, the Manchus. And so you had guard posts out there. You had guard posts Collier, you had guard posts Olette, you had the American sector where the Americans, they're, they're, that was their responsibility as far as patrolling. And they would rotate the units, I believe it was every, every three months, the units would rotate, I believe it was three months. Every three months they rotate up there and assume the DMZ mission. So they go to a tent city. They go into a tent city, yeah, Fort Papa one with artillery there. And they would fire registration around, you know, every hour. Then they had like these alerts, but it was the real McCoy. It was real. You got up there to DMZ. It's a whole new different world. 
because you go through the checkpoints and then you cross the uh, Freedom Bridge and out the last connection, then you're out there within the buffer zone. So my first tour, we, we did a lot of training around, you know, a lot of training. And we had to worry about infiltrators. We had North Korean infiltrators to come through. Um, and the infiltrators would mostly come through during the summertime where the foliage is up. And it was rumored said that they would send their, their commandos who graduated, they'd send their commandos to the American sector because the American sector was, you know, not as aggressively patrolled as with the rocks. And we would send patrols out, we do day patrols, night ambushes, and, you know, you get issued the ammunition and you go out there and you uh, conduct your patrols. And so my first tour, you know, um, President Park Chung-hee was the president and President Kim Il-sung was the president of North Korea. And so it was a real war footing feeling. We kept live ammunition on the vehicles. And you gotta remember at that time the Vietnam War just really winding down. So a lot of the vehicles, you know, you had the uh, mortar carriers, but we kept all live ammunition on the vehicles. And we would have division alerts once a month. It would be called no notice alerts, where the siren to go off, wherever you're at, you, you get back to your unit. You know, you go down to the motor pool to get the big, you start loading up and you go to these battle positions. You go to the battle positions, wait till alert was over, but they took it for real. They, they, they were serious about the alerts. And so you had that feeling of, 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 of that war footing mentality that North Koreans can come through anytime because all its second ID and part of Seoul was within the artillery range. And they had the element of surprise because most of their forces would move forward to the DMZ. Uh, but it, it was crazy. So that was my, my first tour. And I remember, you got to remember, a, a lot of the equipment that we had was the stuff they used during the Korean War, especially the cold weather gear. It was what we used during the Korean War. And we didn't have no heaters in the vehicles. And we had the, uh, the, the regular Jeeps. And you had the gun Jeep, you right out there with no top on. And I remember as a young private, you, know, you get all this high-speed cold weather training, you had to suck it up. And I remember one night, uh, we did all our movements at night and uh, we would get these weather warnings and they say, okay, um, make sure all exposed skin is covered, wind chill factor 33 degrees below zero. And we had the old M1950 um, sleeping bags. So we pull up into a position, we'll get into a position around one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. You put up a gigantic GP media tent with the cots out and you just had to just suck it up. And I tell you, it, it sucked. You know, I'm sure. And, uh, hey, hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Howard Mad Max Mullen. Last on with us for episode 100. So if you if you don't get enough Mad Max Mullen from this episode, you could check that one out. If you go back in the archives and listen to episode 100. Great guy. Um, Yeah, so before we continue, we have a lot more to go. I want to talk about Photonist Defense. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to become masters of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper Monocular, 
with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. If you're in the industry and you were at SHOT Show, uh, I'm hearing from a lot of people, they're the coolest booth there. They had guys like Dale Sizemore there. They had a whiskey event. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but Photonis knows how to do it. So visit photonisdefense.com for more information. P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S defense.com. Or just look for Photonis Defense product options from your night vision dealer. And if you want to go back in the archives, we did a whole night vision show with Phil Otto. And you can learn all about why it's worth paying that premium for great night vision. Also, this show is sponsored by Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott, every show they do for us, you guys know by now, manufacture of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact. TUI, their trademark. It's wild. If you ever go to Fort Scott, Kansas, or you're ever in the area, as I've said before, they are the big fish in that small pond there. You walk into like a Walmart, you see Fort Scott hats and shirts everywhere. They're just loved in the community because they're great. They're not just great products, but a great family and great like customer service when you go into their store. So if you're ever in the area, you know, it's not like an area you would pass through because you got to take a bit of a drive from the Kansas City airport to get there. But if you ever want to take that drive, because I have, you got to stop by the Fort Scott store and you go out, got to buy some ammo from them. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. Once again, leaves devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. And it not only outperforms competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly has become apparent that it will be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammo being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of that trigger. And actually, now that I'm in high resolution for these parts, you could take a look at how cool are these tins. They still have the tins available on the website. These are just badass, man. Love it. Love it. So check it out. Uh, you could go to the dealer locator if you're going to go to a store by you or go to fsm.com and order online. Get a tin like that. You'll get 15% off when you use the promo code BATTLELINE. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. When you support our sponsors, you're supporting us, and you're also going to get something that you're going to love, especially if you're a hunter, shooter, going to the range. So, yeah, whether you support Ned or Fort Scott Munitions or Photonis, Beard Vet, all of it helps us out. But check out Fort Scott Munitions once again. Use the promo code BATTLELINE. It's as simple as this, fsm.com. Now, let's get back to Howard, Mad Max, Moen, Army Ranger, Hall of Famer. Let's go. But on the second tour, uh, my, my second tour career uh, in Korea, uh, the President, President Chunda, Chunda, Chunda won. But I can see the progression of, of uh, Korea. Uh, so my second tour was from 81, I mean, from uh, 81 to 83, I believe it was, my second tour. And so on my second tour, the second infantry division was given a mission of starting up designated riflemen, which was like small um, snipers. And so I was designated because I was ready to qualify to be in charge of our little sniper section for our battalion. 
And so Special Forces Yongsong with the detachment, they're part of first group. They came up with the second ID and so they were training the second ID soldiers on, um, on, on marksmanship for as designated marksmen. So we had the M14, we had the uh, M14, M21 sniper system with art scope, which was supposed to be the latest, greatest thing at the time. And um, we, went up, we went out there and we trained. And one thing I finally remember, a guy named Sir First Class Melvin McIntyre. He was one of our instructors. And if you ever read Saw's book by John Plaster, you, you see the mention Sergeant First Class Melvin McIntyre. He has since passed away, but he was one of the instructors. <clears throat> and to learn from a SOG veteran, um, he would get there, we would sit down and talk, and uh, he tells how to break contact, you know, how to um, break contact, uh, immediate action drill, battle drills, and stuff like that. So we were learning from a SOG veteran. And so then after that, we were attached, uh, my sniper section, we were attached to the first 17th Buffalo. So we went up there for the DMZ tour. And so I had two, uh, my two sections, I had a section that was deployed to Camp Collier and Camp Olette. Now these were like fobs, bunkers, you know, just like in the, the old match, you got the bunkers overhead bunkers and you had the guard towers. And the bunkers were meant, you had the claymores placed out, you had to break the dirt every morning to make sure no infiltrators come through, make sure nobody sneaked down and try to turn the claymores away. And, but every day, um, I, I stayed up there on that DMC for the whole three months and only came down probably around three times just to you know get a break. But I wanted to stay up there. And we, I would rotate shifts. We had a day shift and a night shift. They had like a, they had a cook, it was a designated force and you can eat all day, all night if you weren't sleeping. And we would go up into the tower and we had an infrared system, which, you know, it detected heat. And we had these gigantic ship to shore vinyls and I stared at the North Korea every day. You have propaganda village and um, you can see the North Koreans, this looked like a modern village modern village, but nobody lives there. And so every morning you would see the villagers, you see all of a sudden you see them appear moving around in the village. Then you start to see them coming out to the rice paddies. You see the North Korean guards, they're walking along the fence line and you see them working the fields, you see them working. And then as it gets twilight, you start seeing them kind of like moseying around. They started going back towards the village. You see them moving in the village. And all of a sudden at one time the lights have come on. And then you see like somebody moving you know, like in a TV plane, you see like somebody's moving, but nobody's there. The village is completely empty. But on my second tour, it was a guy named PFC Danny White. Um, he was attached to the first or 31st Bearcat. And he went AWOL across the fence. A lot of people don't remember that, but his name was PFC Danny White. And the vision went on a full alert. And what happened, um, he was up there at Garpo's Bagarpo's Olet, because it was closer to the fence, probably with no more than 100 yards to the fence, and she had North Korean bunker. And he just, one night he was in his, his uh, bunker position, got out, walked across to North Korea, and they captured him. Wow. And so uh, they sent patrols out with 100% alert, and they thought he was, you know, they thought he was kidnapped, but he went across that fence, you know, lottie dotty. So on a week later, 
with these propaganda leaflets are dropping around. Shows them up there in Pyongyang with a big bouquet of flowers. They have pictures of his equipment all laid out. And so, you know, come to North Korea, everything's great and so forth. But um, they kept them alive for around seven or eight years and they got everything out of him. They found his body floating in Jim River and oh, he was wow. sent back to St. Louis. Yeah. So it was a real McCoy in um, Korea. But I remember we would, um, we would set up night ambush positions and it's spooky as hell because especially there was no light, we set up night ambush positions, you know, waiting for North Korea infiltrators to come through. We never made contact. We never made contact. But it was the real McCoy. It was the real McCoy. They no longer had the were... mission. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. I think there's a little bit of a delay because of the connection issues. So that's what that's why we're stepping on each other a little bit. But um, what I was going to say is you mentioned the leaflets, uh, you know, showing him. And then earlier on when you were describing the story, I didn't want to interrupt you, but you were mentioning them dropping leaflets as well. Right. And you said you took some back. And it's interesting to hear about that because I feel like leaflets at the time, it's like there was no Twitter. There was no memes like this is their Twitter is just putting propaganda leaflets out there. So you said you took some back. Do you still have them? And like, do you know what yeah. it says on them? I still have them. I had a Korean friend translate them, um, but I still have the, I wish I would have brought them up here and show you, but I still <laughs> have the leaflets. We pulled the tournament into the S2, but you know, I, I pocket them things. I knew they were good collector's item. What, what type the, of stuff the, does it say, though, like did your friend say it translates to? Well, a lot, lot of the propaganda leaflets of South Korean soldiers that defected, captains and majors, a couple of NCOs. And so what happened, a lot of those soldiers that defected were in some type of trouble. So to cross the fence, all of a sudden, again, they had the big old bouquet of flowers and TV and show them life is great in North Korea. And they use them for the propaganda purpose. You never hear from them again. And uh, most of them is telling me, you know, uh, the ones for the Americans say American imperialist pigs, you know, um, you know, come to North Korea, you know, life is good, you know, Kim Yo-sung, we'll we're going to get victory, you know, typical propaganda that you would hear, you know, even, it, it changed very little from the Korean War. What do you what do you think needs to be done with that region of the world now as someone who's actually been there? I mean, it's it's interesting because we had years where there was no contact whatsoever. President Trump Trump actually met with Kim Jong-un. You know, people had mixed feelings about him being there and mixed feelings about him saying, you know, and this is a direct quote saying we fell in love. I remember him talking about Kim Jong-un. Um and I don't know if any progress has been made in the region. I don't think they're necessarily a threat to us, but they're a threat to our allies like Japan, like South Korea. Uh, what do you think needs to be done? I mean, because there's always a, a differentiation in, in the philosophies of people that I hear from of we we need to be the world police on some level. We need to do something about these hostile nations. And then you have the people that are saying we're we're too invested all over the globe, our, our troops are threat are spread too thin. We're in Ukraine, where we're still in Afghanistan. Um, so I'm just wondering, do you think something needs to be done? And if so, what? Uh, South Koreans don't need us. We're in, we, we're over there to keep the South Koreans from going north. Mm -hmm. uh, the South Koreans are well capable army. They're real capable. And um, for President Trump across the DMZ, I think it was a great thing. Honestly, it was a great thing. Because you know, you got the industrial, you know, the industrial war, or, you know, the industrial military complex. They want to go to war. You know, North Korea is no threat. 
they're no threat whatsoever. Um, but back in the 60s, they were a threat. I don't know if you ever heard, you ever heard of the Blue House Raid? No, I'd, I'd have to look it up, but get into it. Yeah, uh, when, when Kim Yo-sung, when he was still alive, um, back in 1968, just after the USS, um, back in 1968, they sent a 33-man North Korean commando squad down from North Korea to assassinate the president of South Korea, Sigmund Rhee. That was his mission, you know, to go down there and assassinate the president. And so what happened, um, these guys trained for a whole year. They were specially selected. And they're especially selected because they wanted to use the Koreans whose families lived in the South because the North Koreans and South Koreans is a different, they, even though they speak Hangul, Korean, there's a different dialect. Like you hear sure. a Southern dialect and so the different dialect. So they, they handpicked these guys because of their dialect. And these guys trained, the, the training they did for that one year, this 33-man commando squad. Um, if you had to take look at pictures of the terrain in North Korea, it is insane. These guys would put on rucksacks and run up these hills. Um, they would be buried with dead bodies. Um, they would, the training they went through is absolutely insane. These guys were, at that time, one of the most physical specimens physically that you ever seen. They were mentally tough. They had no fear whatsoever. And they infiltrated in the wintertime through the American sector. And they hit the high ground and they were moving. They were basically double timing. They had their uniforms on. They had, uh, they, they had rock uniforms on, signia and so forth like that over these black coveralls and he infiltrated and he hit the high ground into the mountains. And these guys were hauling butt, they were hauling. But um, they stopped for, to rest and they saw these South Korean woodcutters and they got compromised. And so they captured these, these South Koreans, right, woodcutters. Same thing that happened in Operation Red Wing, you know, I mean, uh, with, 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 with the trail those guys, when they got yeah, yeah, the sure. shepherds. You yeah, know, absolutely. We, we kill these guys or we let them go. These South Korea, these North Koreans are faced with the same thing. Should we kill them or let them go? What they decide to do, they decide to sit down and indoctrinate these two woodcutters, tell them about the greatness of North Korea. Then they let them go. And so what happened, they, they told these, 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 these um, South Korean woodcutters, hey, don't tell nobody you saw us. Those South Koreans, they... They double time down there. The guy with a rock checkpoint said, hey, you got some bad guys and something wicked is going down there to South Korea. And so the full division was alerted and the rocks were alerted and it hit the high grounds. But these guys were double timing that you're always one step ahead of them. Now they got to the skyline, the hills, and they saw the bright lights of South Korea. And a lot of them were thinking, wow, we've been lied to. So they changed it to the right uniforms and they went down there and they and so the, all of South Korea and Seoul on a high alert. So they started marching in formation down the street with rock uniforms on and they get through these checkpoints, right? Let them through. A hundred meters shy of the blue house, which is equivalent to our white house, a hundred meters shy of their objective, this alert captain, uh, South Korean captain stopped them and asked him something in Korean. And, but 
it is jet and jive. And so that commando element, they panicked. They threw grenades, started lighting everybody up. They killed some people on the bus and they scattered to the four winds. <clears throat> they started e and back to North Korea. Mm. They hunted these guys down for almost a week. Um, they, they, they corralled these guys up. A lot of them committed suicide, put a grenade to their face and chest and they blew themselves up. Some hunted down and killed. Now, one made it all the way back across. He became a, a Korean general, he became a hero. One was captured. He didn't want to commit suicide, he was captured. They kept him for almost six months to a year and they grew him for everything he had. As far as intel, they let him go. Hmm. You're free to go. So um, here this man is, they killed his family in North Korea. They killed his family in North Korea. Had all this equipment laid out, they used it for propaganda. So he became a minister. And I tried to contact him one time because I wanted to write a story on him. Yeah, I mean, that would be an amazing story. And so I was able to contact him, right? And through one of my friends, she was Korean, and she spoke to him. I said, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's a minister. I said, tell him, I don't want to talk about any of the ideology and stuff. I want to talk about that mindset that they had the training that they went through to do this. And he simply said, I don't want to talk about it. They performed autopsies on these North Korean commandos. And one of the surgeons said, these guys look like miniature bodybuilders, zero blood fat, they're, they're, they're proportioned miniature bodybuilders. Now, I wrote a fictitious story based off true facts and stuff, what I know of the unit. And oh, a person wow. read it, uh, 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 one, uh, a guy read it and he contacted me. He said, hey, um, you wrote a story on uh, the North Korean commandos. I said, yeah, I did. And he said, that was pretty damn good. <laughs> he said, how'd you get information? I said, well, I just piecemeal it together, right? What I thought that they may do and stuff, you know, James Wilkins and all this other stuff. He said, well, you know what? I was, I was um, the division S2. And when the North Korean, when the South Koreans hunted these guys down, they were not allowed to touch the bodies until we came and took pictures of them. Hmm. He said, I got those pictures. I want to send them to you. So he sent me the pictures of these North Korean commandos that they killed. Never before seen. Never before seen. I have them right now. And oh, wow. you, you see, you see these guys, you say, what were they thinking? What was their mindset to do this? Now, People talk smack about the North Koreans. They had one of the largest, uh, largest special operations forces in the world. And these guys know no fear. You can go on Google. I mean, you can go on YouTube. You can see them doing their cheat demonstrations, board breaking. And uh, people laugh at these guys. But these guys are the real McCoy. You know, they will, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to fight them, you know, uh, I would, I would, I would respect their, their fight capability, because again, they have the tactical advantage as far as invasion. They got all these tunnels, right? I remember up on the DMC, they flow these tunnels, and then get thousands of soldiers through these tunnels. They got tunnels they haven't even found yet, and um, then they would have all these these Soviet era biplanes that come and just parachute guys all over, and so they would have a tactical advantage, and it would be absolute chaos the first 
48 hours on ground in, in South Korea. You know, you know, this audience is definitely wondering now, where could they find this piece that you wrote, this fictitious based on real life experience piece that you said you wrote? Uh, it's, it's hard. You had to go to the Wayback Machine. Uh, I have the link and oh, okay. I will send it to you, Ian. Right. And I was you, you got to release it. You know, this audience will want to see it. OK, uh, I'll re I release it again and I'll let you know when I release it. And. Uh, um, but it's about their their physical fitness and stuff, right? Their their their, their PT. I think and, you should uh, put it up, man. I mean, you could self publish on Amazon. Hey, if you need an audiobook reader, I'm your guy. I think you I think you should put it up, though. I think people would love to hear it because there's so little known about North Korea, truly. And the only people who really know anything about North Korea are the people who have been there and done that, like yourself. Because, as you said, it's a propaganda state. They don't let anything out of there. One thing about the North Koreans, um, they, they had some really bad famines and floods, right? It got to the point where, especially far northern part of North Korea, up there near the Chinese border, they would just shut off whole villages and just let them die off, they would, even cannibalism. Uh, the, the birth rate, the nutrition, you look at these kids, you know, how old is this kid? Oh, he's 18 years old, look like 10-year-old, 12-year-old of the malnutrition uh he doesn't he doesn't give a crap about those people they just don't and, what about uh, south korea what's what's the culture like there oh south korea is like a modern metropolis you know you got k-pop but the, the sea everything started changing after 1988 olympics it, it, it the transformation was unbelievable i remember on my second tour you leave south you leave seoul you go north towards camp casey with nothing but open rice paddy. My last tour, when, when I was there, this is way after the Olympics. I didn't even know I left Seoul to I saw a sign that said, welcome to We Jambu. It, it built up insanely. They closed, they closed a lot of the concerns. They had the Rodriguez uh, Range Complex. And so they can't, they can't train like we used to because everything's built up. So you had to train on the, the Rodriguez train, Range Complex Twin Bridges was a rock army training complex. So you're limited. So I was so happy and blessed that I served that I did because I, we trained where we would fight. But now you just can't because it's so built up, insanely built up. We closed a lot of bases. We got the mega base down there at Camp Humphreys. Um, when, they had, when they built Camp Humphreys, uh, Camp Humphreys to be known for its aviation, right, CH-47s. When they built that mega base at Camp Humphreys, they moved the whole village and they completely leveled a whole mountain to put that base there. It's insane. Hmm. Uh, as far as like the South Korean, the rock soldiers, um, they are the real McCoy. They're special operations forces. When in fact, when I was a ranger instructor, we had a rock captain come through. Um, captain, captain Kim, I'll never forget him. He was Rock SF, Rock SF Halo instructor, Rock Special Forces scuba instructor. This guy was stacked. And so he came to ranger school. And I remember um, we were, they were doing a, a combat water survival test. And he kept flunking the last station where you had to put your equipment on, you jump in the water, you release it, and come to the top. But he kept coming to the top. So 
you're the two-time no-go. I'm observing, right? So I told him, so I said, pass him. Oh, hell no, Max, you can't pass him. He flunked two times. I said, dude, pass him. No, he didn't meet the standard. I said, look, Jeff, this man's a rock damn scuba instructor. He will swim circles around you and I without even a blink an eye. Put him back in. <laughs> well, Max is on you, so put him back in. And um, he didn't speak very good English, but this guy, as far as tactics go, he was something. So I would call down to the camp, check him, hey, what about, hey, this got this cap, how's he doing? Man, that dude's like a damn Superman in the jungle. I mean, he, he's, he's good. And so I remember Captain Kim, he graduated. And he came to my room, knocked on the door. I said, Ranger Kim, you know you're not supposed to be in the, in the Catholic barracks. He said, Sergeant Mullen, I want to give you something. He had his rock camouflage uniform on, he had his rock beret on, and he gave me this towel with all the rock special forces badges on it. He said, I want you to have this, and I want you to have this beret. So I gave my Ranger t-shirt, wow. I gave him a beret. He went on to become the rock chief of staff, four star. That's so cool. That's amazing. That's a great story. Have you, have you gone back to visit just as uh, as a civilian now and just to, to maybe see how, it, how it's updated since all these decades? Uh, believe it or not, I have no desire to go back. Okay. Because I, I want to remember how it used to be. Because sure. I looked at some of the, the, some of the old um, camps, right? Weeded over as just derelict and just like, Years ago, this right here had over 60,000 combat troops here ready to kick butt. Now it's just like, it's just a different vibe. It's just not the same. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, you know what I was going to ask you about? Um, like one last thing that I wanted to get into here was last episode we had on Frank Rippey, Command Sergeant Major Frank Rippey, oh, um, who yeah. I think is... Yeah, I think kind of from your era, right? I'm sure you guys yeah. have crossed paths. Yeah, he he was excellent. And, um, you know, one of the things Chris asked, and he'd probably want to ask you about if he was here, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do this uh, third third uh, episode at some point when he's back. But he was saying to Command Sergeant Major Grippy how every generation of Army Ranger, you feel like the younger generation is softer and they're not as tough and... I, I know for you, you still go back to do speeches. You still go back to be a mentor to some of these younger army rangers and some of these younger recruits and that type of thing you were telling me about because you are a public speaker and you do a lot of events for the U.S. military. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, what's your opinion and, and where do you see things going with this current crop of army rangers and this current group of guys? What are you seeing that's different? What do you like? What do you dislike? As far as the army rangers, these guys are like a bunch of Captain Americas jacked up on super soldier serum. As far as physical, I mean, they're, they're training, the equipment, these guys are light years ahead of us. Um, back when I served, you know, a lot of emphasis on running, you know, running and uh, uh, a lot of running, uh, a lot of, um, you know, small unit tactics and things like this. But these guys, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're up there, they're, they're tier one guys, you know, it's no comparison. But one thing I say about our era is I wouldn't change our era that I served in for nothing. You know, they may have all the high school, you know, high speed equipment and things, but I look back on our era is that way we trained, 
is we jumped a lot more. You know, they don't jump as much, but I remember back in the day, we jumped, every time we went to the field, we jumped in. We did a night mass tactical jump. And so it wasn't uncommon for somebody to serve in battalion three or four years, have over three, 400 jumps. And I remember that like when young rangers go from, from we call it RIP Ranger Indoctrination Program, they call it RAS-1, um, they would probably have around 15 to 20 jumps before even report to the battalion because they had to be proficient at jumping because that was our main way of insertion was through, you know, parachute insertion. And, you know, to be a pioneer on a lot of these things like airfield seizures and things like that, how our era set the standards um, for these, these young Rangers. But these guys, they're carving out a legacy of their own. I mean, these guys, are, they're great. They're great. That's good to hear. Because I think sometimes, and people listen back to old episodes of this show could see that Chris is, uh, I think, salty like some of these other, you know, Army Rangers of your generation sometimes. And Chris will often say it. I don't think I'm saying anything that he wouldn't say. He's like, oh, this generation's gotten soft. And But it sounds like, because I know you feel the same maybe about conventional military, but special ops will always be special. Yeah, they're always going to be special. Our special operations capability, there's not a nation in this country can, can defeat our special operations forces. But you can't depend on the special operations forces to take the, you know, the, the bulk of the fight. Now, as far as our regular service, it, it, it's different. It, it, it's, it's so different with the, you know, the changing of the basis. Um, it, it's gotten woke, it's gotten political. I don't give a flip what they say, the army's gotten political, it's, it's woke. Um, there's too much emphasis on, uh, for instance, the grooming standards are is almost zero, the standards. You know, back then we had pride in that uniforms. Here, you just you don't have to have pride. Oh, you can't you can't wash your uniform. They're not you know so look like they're just pulling stuff out of a duffel bag. It's it's no sense of pride. And um, the the some of the hair standards is like, man, how in the hell do you get away with that haircut, man? That's a damn fat haircut. <laughs> you know, and that's a fat haircut. You know, um, it, it's just a different culture. You know. Um, the non-commissioned officer corps back then, they don't even do the shark attack anymore. They do some other stuff, a thousand walks, thousand meters, something like that. They even do a shark attack. And I, I was talking to some young soldiers. They said, hell, that's what we expected. We expect to get smoked by the drill sergeant. You know, we expected to get smoked. You know, they can't do that. You know, the drill sergeant hands are tied. Oh, you want to talk to Johnny? You don't know. Holler at Johnny. You want to talk to Johnny? You want to talk to Joe? Don't be so mean, be cruel. Let's sit down and talk. Let's hold hand and sing Kumbaya. Bump that. You better get your butt down and start pushing some Georgia mud. But, you know, you can't do that now. So I get from you, I feel like, you know, as a whole, you feel like the Army has changed for the worse. But when it comes to special operations units, Army Rangers, Delta Force and SEALs and all that, these guys are still the oh, most yeah. lethal units out there. Oh, they're, they're the hammers. Absolutely. No, no, it's not a, like I say, they, they can't, not, not our special operational forces. Well, it's well said, man. Well, this has flown by. We've gone an hour here. A uh, lot of great stories from you. I really do think you should publish that uh, fiction. Is it a fiction novel, would you say, or just a fiction piece? Because I think people want to hear it. It's a fiction piece based off real events 
Yes. You know, uh, again, because I was limited to the information that was available at that time. and didn't have, you know, but it, it, it's pretty well, it was pretty well received. And I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to repost it. Well, I think it would also, show. Gonna, sorry, what were you saying? In, in closing, I want to say this, like, the North Korea, they still conduct infiltration. Big time. Yeah. I mean, it was a member of the sub that, 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 um, that beached. And the, these guys got out. You know, a lot of them committed suicide in the sub, but they kept chasing this one guy, man. They couldn't catch him. That guy, you know, you're such good condition. But they're still conducting infiltrations to this day. So. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on you here. Like I said, it's yeah. a little bit of a connection thing. But um, yeah, I think it would show a different side to you because I think people know you from social media. They know you as the badass bodybuilding army ranger and they don't know you as as a writer and i think it would be really cool to see i would i would just like to see the piece and yeah as i said earlier there's so little out of there and i've never heard these stories and i think very few people have heard these stories people have read uh you know people who are into this type of podcast have heard so many gwat stories they they've heard what goes on in iraq afghanistan uh, even some of the stuff in South America that Chris has spoken about and even guys who've been stationed in places like Germany. But there's not a lot of DMZ, North Korea, South Korea stories out there. And I think it's it would be valuable to hear. Oh, OK. Uh, I'm going to pick you up <laughs> on that. I'm going to do it. That would be also, great. Another well, thing, too, is um, like um, this is in closing and closing. Yeah. It was my, my um, training in Panama, JLTC. I did six GLTs of deployment, six, right? And I tell people one of the best schools the Army ever had as far as jungle operations was Fort Sherman, Panama, Jungle Operations Training Center. They're missing, they got in Hawaii, that ain't jungle. It's tropical forest, ain't no real jungle. Well, next time that we have you on, we could talk Panama then, it sounds like. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> That would be cool. So uh, for everybody listening, it's at Max underscore Mullen with two N's at the end. Uh, Max underscore M-U-L-L-E-N-N. -N. Right, I have that correct? That's right, brother. Yeah. On Instagram. Anything else that you're promoting? I know you, lot, you do a lot of work with uh, special operations, military charities, and I know you're on the public speaking circuit as well. Well, we, uh, I'm also a member on a, the Silent Weir Foundation. And we have a really big event coming up. Um, you go to our, our webpage, uh, our website, and also on Facebook, Special Art, uh, Silent Warrior Foundation. And we have some really big events coming up. Uh, we did the 27, 27 Minutes of Asante, the documentary. That should be wrapping up this, um, this year real soon. They're just doing final touches on it. Really good documentary about the Asante raid. We filmed it out there at the Dillon range, but it's gonna be really, really good because we had the actual Sante Raiders there who were our advisors who would make that film. Yeah, I'm looking at the website now. So what I'm seeing is silentwarriorfoundation.com. So you can visit yeah. that online, silentwarriorfoundation.com. Looks like they're also on Instagram and Twitter. I'll see if they're yes. active on there before I give that out. Um, Twitter, not so much. And then Instagram, or they post? Do they post stuff? Like I can't really see yeah, here. We're, we're active on Instagram. So if they do, it's just at at Silent Warrior Foundation is what I'm seeing on Instagram. Yeah, that's that's yes, what sir. I see here. 
Cool. All right. Well, check them out. Always an honor and a pleasure speaking with you. I'm sure I'll see you next year at SHOT Show, but I'm sure we'll cross paths at another time as well. And like I said, it truly was great meeting you and, and kind of talking in person and having these these discussions because I think you're a wealth of knowledge. And yeah, like I said, you're the real deal. Sometimes you meet people in person. They're not the same. If you meet Max, he will sit down and shoot the shit with you and give it to you straight. And they say, I'm just trying to keep it real. <laughs> that's all for this episode of the battle line podcast but we'll be back on monday with more american straight talk until then be sure to follow us on instagram at battle podcast and on twitter at battle pod to sign up for future battle tactical courses go to www.christantoperanto.net believe in yourself face all challenges head on And as always, never Never quit. quit.